All right. Well, I want to invite you this morning, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and pull out your Bible or your electronic version, whatever works for you, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. So you can go ahead and get prepared to move in that direction. We'll be looking at the 43rd verse and following here in a few moments. So just become. So let's pray as we prepare our hearts. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that God help us to hear what you want us to hear today. God, I believe that you're always speaking, and Lord, that word you want us to hear, help us to hear it, and Lord, allow it to go deep into our hearts, and Lord, may it affect and change us as we let your spirit move. I pray that I'm out of the way, and Jesus, you will be seen, and what is said and done will bring you glory and honor, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Reset, and uh, this morning we're going to be covering the last message in that series. But if you remember, the first week we talked about um, realigning our whole selves with God, and we talked specifically about the body, our body, our theology of the body, how God would have us handle our bodies and deal with them. Then the next week we talked about our minds. How do we adjust our thoughts according to the way God would have us think? And then last week, uh, Pastor Daniel shared with us about how do we align our spirit and uh, he gives a great analogy of like an apple that's ripening in the sun. And he gave that great picture of the sunflowers. You know, the sunflowers turn toward the sun, which reminds us that as we set our minds upon Christ and then we set in his presence, he changes and transforms us. Well, this week we're going to conclude by talking about how do we reset our relationships. Now, there's been an, kind of a number that's been around for a while that says that the average person can handle about 150 relationships. I don't know if you've ever sat down and counted how many people you're in relationship with. Uh, maybe you've looked on Facebook and you saw how many friends you have. Um, some of us may have thousands of friends. I'll be honest, I get people on my Facebook and I have sometimes no clue who they are that just popped up. I'm like, they're my friend? Really? Who are they? Um, but anyway, I find I'm not a really good Facebook friend, just FYI. But Here's to say that what we know, some, earlier, new, some newer statistics have told us that actually what we know is that some people are good at forming two really good relationships. And then there's other people that actually can manage over 500 relationships. Now, I'm, you know, so probably we fall somewhere in between all of that. But one thing we do know, whether it's two or 500, the reality is that we know that we need relationships. I mean, that's just part of life, and we can't really exist well just by ourselves. We know that people have good relationships, they are ha help, they're ha happier, they feel more satisfied, and we also know that they have less physical or mental health problems. So relationships are incredibly important, especially good relationships. And if we look at the Bible, we find that the Bible talks about relationships in multiple ways. It talks about some bad relationships and good relationships and gives us lots of instruction for how we conduct those relationships, not only with God, with, with other people. And this morning, I want to look at one specific text talking about the principles for evaluating and aligning our relationships. And so this comes from Luke chapter 8, verse 43 and following, and this can also be found in Mark chapter 5. But here's what it says. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And she came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. 
And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, I'm going to guess, um, if you've read that text in the scriptures before, probably not a text you went to immediately to think about how do we conduct our relationships. But I want to just lay out for us, as I was reading and praying through what text would actually we should look at this morning, this one was really elevated in my mind, thinking about different dynamics that come out from this text that I think are incredibly helpful in thinking about our particular relationships. Now, the first that I find that we have in this particular story is, and and let me give you a little back story to it. We know that Jesus earlier has been confronted by an individual who has an immediate need in their family. So it's, Jesus, we need you to come to our house now to deal with this health crisis we have going on. And so Jesus sets out with this individual, and as they are heading out into the street, we find that people are crowding it. Now, we don't know whether it's because it was just a busy street or whether because lots of people had heard Jesus was there and was going out into the street to meet him. Whatever the case was, it was incredibly crowded and people were packed in around him and he was trying to navigate through the crowd and lots of people were touching him. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this, Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? Now, as we think about this, the first thing I would like us to think about in resetting our relationship is, first of all, reflect on your relational priorities. Who am I making? Am I making appropriate time for the people that have the greatest value at that moment in my life? You know, with this woman right then, Jesus was already in task mode, moving in a direction, but he made a decision to say, Right now, I need to stop. Yes, I thought this was the priority, but right now, I need to stop and make this person the priority. And I found I was recently talking with a colleague. You know, if you've got to know me a little bit over the time I've been here, you'll find out I'm a pretty task-orientated person. You know, I get to a place, and it's just like, okay, here's point A and point B and point C, and we just kind of keep moving through the task and get them done, and if relationship happens to be part of that on the way, we'll get there. Now, I'm really not that cold. I, I, I do care when I'm talking to people and relating. I'm just saying that tasks can trump relationships sometimes for me. And are any of you task-oriented type people out there, if you're going to admit to it? Okay, there's a few of you. Okay, then on the other hand, I was talking to a colleague, and they're very relational-based. I mean, they're very much in the moment with people, and, and they feel that deeply, and, and that's a great gift. I greatly admire that. And, and there's times I'm that as well, but I'm just saying my go-to can be task. And, and the reality is they both can be negative, because the reality is if I'm so task-orientated, I don't take time for people, that's not good. Or if I'm so relational-based, I don't get anything done, that's not good either. And so there's a balancing in between the two, but I need to know who I need to stop and have the relationship with at the particular moment, and which is of the greatest priority at that particular time. 
I, I remember back when I was in early ministry um, that we had had our first child, and I remember I was still very much task-oriented that the church trumped everything. And so if the church called at night and I was hanging out with my kids, it was like, I need to go now and be part of what's going on at the church. You know what I found, though, the reality over the years, there were times I really wasn't needed there at all. But I thought that that was my priority. But really where I needed to be at that particular moment was home with my kids. Because I found out later on after years of ministry that, and this may sound a little bit cold, but what I found over the years is that you can serve a church really fully but that the church can use you and spit you out and go on and forget you even existed. But your family is not going to forget. They're still with you. And that may be in your work as well. I'm just saying, that's just a reality, right? So we have to figure out, is this a priority at the moment? And that really takes a lot of spiritual discernment. Is I'm in a relationship, do I, is this what God's calling me to focus on right now for this moment? And then what's the next thing? So really evaluating our priorities. Because even John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, told his pastors, he said, when you're out, you need to go from home to home and visit people. But don't spend more time at one place than you should. He's saying, figure out how much time is appropriate and get then move on. So there is a balance in all of this. And even if you look at Jesus, he did that, right? I mean, Jesus didn't sit down and talk for hours with every person he met. Some people he did. He went home with Zacchaeus and talked the whole afternoon. But there was the blind Bartimaeus who's on the road saying, Jesus, stop. And they had to like really work to get Jesus to stop just to deal with that moment. So Jesus, too, sometimes had to always make negotiation what is the primary. Now, a second quality that I think we see in our relationships, it's really important from this story, is we need to look at our relationships through Christ's eyes. Because at this particular moment, as Jesus stops in the midst of this crowd, he is really looking at a woman who is seen as unclean. And what that means is, as you remember in the story, it says that she was a woman who was bleeding. She had an uncontrolled issue. It had been an issue for 12 years. And what that meant for this woman is that because she was bleeding in that culture, that made her unclean. That meant she wasn't able to touch people. It meant she couldn't go to synagogue, and she was pushed to the margins by everyone around her because anybody she touched was then unclean. I can't even imagine that, and we may not get that in today's world, but that was the culture in which it was. And so at that moment, when this woman comes up and touches Jesus, technically he now would become unclean according to the culture. And Jesus stops, and he sees this woman. He could have just passed it over and said, we're not going to deal with it. But he saw at that moment that this woman really needs to know that I see her. And this is the way I see her. He's going to reframe how he sees her according to the way the culture is defining her. And so I think that's really important for us that we encounter people all the time. That, and I don't know about you if you're like this, but sometimes I'm quick to make a judgment about people and and sometimes when i make that judgment call right it cannot always be the the most positive perspective but is that really the way jesus sees them and do i need to stop and say jesus how do you want to reframe this person in my mind how do you want me to see them 
And he does that in this particular moment. He sees her different than the way that society would tell him he needs to see her. And he really ends up having a heart of love towards her. Now, thirdly, he is present with. And I think this is really key, that when we're with people then, as we're, we're finding our relational priority, as we're seeing them through Jesus, then being really present with those who God calls us to be near. Now, just visualize the tension for a moment. Jarius is the name of the guy who has come to Jesus and said, my daughter is dying at home. I need you to come now because there was nobody else who was going to save her. And I need you, Jesus, to come. Please, would you come pray for my daughter that she gets healed? And so Jesus says, okay, I'll do it. And can you imagine the hope rising up in Jarius? But there's also the concern of a parent. He is like, will we make it in time? Right, And so they go out into the street, and now they are crowded around by people. And people are slowing down this whole procession. And not only that, as we're moving and I'm having a hard time getting through, then all of a sudden Jesus has the nerve to stop and say, who touched me? Jairus is saying, it doesn't matter who touched you. Look out, there's people everywhere. We got to get going. But Jesus says, no, right now, I need to be with this person. There is something at stake here with this individual. Now, do you remember if you've been a parent, you know, a time when your kid's sick or they're going through a struggle? I remember when our daughter, Malaya, she's our second born, and I remember one night when all of a sudden she just had an incredibly difficult time breathing. She couldn't get her air. She was, you know, where their chest is caving in, and you could just see it, and she was struggling. And she was just a little, little kid at the time. And I remember just the sense of panic that goes off as a parent. What do we do? And I remember picking her up, and Nancy and I had a conversation, and it's well into the night, and I pick her up, and I get out to the car, and I put her on my lap, and I drive the five minutes to the hospital. And when I get there, I'm like, everybody on deck. You need to take care of my kid now. This is critical. That's what was going on in Jairus' mind at the very same time. So there was a lot of pressure for Jesus at the moment to be moving on. And it was important. But for whatever reason, at that moment, Jesus said, it's more important right now that i got to be present with this person. That'll get taken care of, but I need to be present right now with this. You know, I'm... It's really trying to be sensitive to those God is placing around you that it's really important that that we're with them. That could be our grandkids, it could be a spouse, it could be a friend, it could be a neighbor, it could be a stranger. But just trying to remain alert. I remember when I was at Friends University, um, we had a singer come. Um, He was a famous Christian contemporary singer at the time, David Neese, if any of you knew him. Um, But David, after his concert, I remember him going out into the narthex, and David Um, was standing there and people were coming up and greeting like you do you know you want to touch rub off with a famous person right Um, so everybody was up there but what I was so impressed about David is David when you could it still sticks in my mind when he a person came up to him he was zero focused on them he was he was just all in like he just wanted to hear them he wanted to know what their story was and what was going on and that was Jesus I mean, Jesus in that moment, not only is he in a hurry, not only does he say, okay, now I know who did it, we can go on. 
He says, tell me your story. What brought you to this moment? He was present with it. He wasn't just taking a small sampling of time. He said, I want to hear your story, how you got here. And she tells, I've been at this for 12 years. I've spent all my money, and, and now I'm here, and I've been unclean, and I'm at the margins, and nobody's cared, and nobody's taking care of me, and I just touched you. And something became different. Now, the fourth thing I think that comes out in this particular passage is then we relinquish offense or unforgiveness. Because think about it. Jesus is now here. Now that he is lifted up, this unclean woman has just touched him. Now what is Jesus? Unclean. Jesus, by law, no longer is allowed to go to the home of Jairus. Technically, he is now to isolate himself from the community until nightfall and go wash because he has been touched by an unclean woman. This woman has invalidated him for ministry. And Jesus, in that particular moment, says, you came up to me and your faith has healed you. You are clean. Jesus didn't see himself as unclean. He saw his life had cleansed Jesus didn't let offense stick to him. That's kind of key. When people offend us, we can let their offense stick. Or we can decide to relinquish it and let go of it. And Jesus lets go. And I think that's really key for us. When people do that, we need to say, Lord, I'm going to release him. I'm going to forgive it. I'm not going to let this defile me and wreck me. And in our relationships, who have I allowed offense to stick that has somewhat disqualified me, that I need to let go of. Now, Jesus goes on then in this, and he establishes healthy boundaries. And I think this is key in our relationships as well, because what he does in this moment is this woman has come, he says, I felt power go out of me. Now, what happened is, this woman didn't ask Jesus for permission to heal him. She reached out and took something that had not yet been granted to her, but God gave it to her. She had broken a boundary, technically. And Jesus says, I need to establish, I, I want you to know what has transpired and it's been allowed. You know, when we look upon our lives, are our relationships, think about your relationship boundaries, are they healthy? I mean, am I looking out for and seeking the best for the people in my life? Or am I using them to get something I need from them? Um, am I using it to, unfill, to fulfill an unhealthy need in myself that God is, can only really fill? Or is the relationship boundaries I'm doing, are, those, are they destructive? You know, am I allowing people to abuse and manipulate and control me or to move me into unhealthy thoughts or practices that would not be the best? But I'm letting the relationship control me. Jesus always kept control of the relationship and the boundaries and kept them in a healthy space. What I love is, see, Jesus didn't just submit himself to everybody. Did you ever, you ever see that in Scripture where he says that he wouldn't trust himself to the religious leaders because he said, you guys aren't looking out for my best interest. I'm not trusting myself to you. There was even a time his brothers wanted him to go to Jerusalem and hang out, and Jesus says, no, I'm not going because he knew his brothers weren't looking out for him. It's okay to set boundaries. It's okay, even as a Christian, to say, that is not good. I don't need to go there. I shouldn't go there. And to identify those boundaries and hold them 
for yourself. And finally, what I love about this, we were, Nance and I were watching um, this week The Chosen. If you've watched it by Dallas Jenkins, it's about the life of Jesus. It's session four, or season four is coming up. And it's really interesting to me that on Friday night, I had my sermon done. Um, and as we were watching, the story that it deals with on Friday night that we were watching happened to be this very story. And what was impactful for me as I watched it was that the final thing that Jesus really does is he demonstrates true love. I mean, it says this woman fell down before him, and she pours out his heart and tells his whole story, and he's needing to get on down the road, right? But he's sitting there, and in this story, this, um, at the chosen, you see this, him getting down on the ground with her and actually touching her which was just like everybody's going, what is going on? And just communicating to her how valuable she was. And reuniting her back with her community. He says, I want you to know how valued you are, not only to me, but to this whole community. You are loved. You are special. You are valuable. And that we're wishing that for the best in our lives, the people, the relationships around you. How am I communicating genuine love that they are of value and giving them the best? I love about this story at the end then. You know, this woman went away. Yes, her body was restored, but so was her soul. And even her restoration to her community and to God. She was welcomed back in. Folks, that's our, we get to be those change agents in our world too. In the relationships God's placing around us. Who are our relational priorities? Think about who are the people in our relationship, that we're having a relationship. How is God wanting to prioritize them in your particular life? Are we seeing them the way Jesus sees them? Am I really present with them when I'm with them? Or is my mind going off to other places? And is this really where God is calling me to be at this moment? Am I establishing healthy boundaries and forgiving offense and am I truly demonstrating the love of Christ? It's a great gift that God has given us relationship with God and with one another. May we live that out well for God's glory. Let's pray.